Spring of Life Fellowship and its pastor, Joaquin G. Molina, invites you to listen to a message of restoration and strengthening for your life. Be a part of the vision, changing the world. Father, thank you for this day that you have made. Thank you for your promise that wherever two or more are gathered in your name, you're here. We feel you here. We know your presence is here. Your Holy Spirit has been rich during the song service, during the worship time. We pray, Father, that our hearts would be open and willing and welcoming your word. We pray that your word would be a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path, that these things that happened to men who lived upon the earth before us would serve as an example to us, that we might know you better and walk in your ways more authentically. We give you thanks, Lord, for everyone who hungers and thirsts for you and knowing that you're a good God and that you have an incredible purpose for us to fulfill upon the earth, Lord. Lord, remove everything that distracts us tonight, anything that tries to uh, eliminate your word and your message so that we might grow strong and that through your word, which is uh, the good seed planted in good hearts would give forth good fruit. Give us that bread of life that nourishes our soul for you have said man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We want to nourish our spirit from that Lord. Use the word and the message and the verses tonight to strengthen and equip us to closely follow you. We pray in Jesus' name. Everybody, amen. Um, in Genesis chapter 17, verse 1, <clears throat> we always start in verse 1, at the beginning of the chapter. And <clears throat> notice with me how old Abraham is. When Abram was 99 years old, Listen, at 99, if you're still struggling with faith, you must be a champion. You must be a serious champion. Um, if you go back to Genesis 16, the last verse says that um, Abraham was 86 years old. So you guys do the math from chapter 16 to chapter 17. How many years? 86 to 99? 13 years. we got the mathematicians running. The calculators. Okay. 86 years old. The next verse, he's 99. So 13 years have passed. 17 verse 1. Let's go there. Abraham was 86. Now Abraham is 99. So in just a blink of an eye, and that's how life is, all of a sudden, psh, I remember, I'm not a day over 48. Did you guys know that? I'm not a day over 48. Yesterday was my birthday. Um, but time flies because I remember when I was 21. I remember having hair and being a muscular man. Um, but here it is. He's 99 and the Lord appeared to him and said to him, I am almighty God. I want to say something because I had a friend that, that he, he is... Every thought he has is a devil's thought. And he told me this, Joaquin, what's wrong with your God? He always has to be like, I'm mighty, I'm great. I'm he's an egotist. He's always, and I was like, brother, if God is telling you he's mighty, he's not telling you for his benefit. He's telling you for your benefit. He's not going around bragging on himself for him. He's telling, listen, Abraham, you haven't figured this out yet, but I am all you need. That's what he's saying. 
He says, whatever is going on, I'm the answer. So that's why God shows up with his introduction. Uh, I love it. Uh, to me, I'm going to shout amen. amen. I'm gonna, God is all I need. And, and every area of my life that stinks and is not good and is twisted, I need God to come. He's an ever-present help in places of need, in times of trouble. So that's why he's telling this to Abraham. Listen, the truth of the matter is we could go home already. Just with that, if we understood and really accepted the reality of I am almighty God, if, if that was in uh, what was happening in the previous chapter is the reason why God comes back to Abraham, because in the previous chapter, they had put their, their thinking caps on, their stinking thinking, and, and Sarah says, God's taking too long, and why don't you have sex with the maid, uh, with the servant girl, and have a baby, and that's how we're going to have a baby, because God is, is not showing up. And so in the previous chapter, you have the will of man forsaking the ways of God. And they're coming up with all sorts of laboratory and scientific uh, um, uh, you know, theories and contraptions to try and bring to pass what God wants to bring about. So that's why he starts the first verse. Abraham. I'm all you need. All the time. Everywhere. Anytime. It's, you should. In every direction. I'm your answer. So that. For that reason. Stay before me. And be thou perfect. Without blame. This, this verse here is a reminder throughout the scriptures that everything that's wrong in my life, I'm responsible for. We like to point at everybody, but the truth of the matter, we haven't delegated to God. God, you be God in my life, and I will worship you. My, my only role in life is to worship God, to sit there and to proclaim his goodness and his reality. But God is saying, no more distraction. No more detour. No more putting off what I am going to do in your life. Don't, don't go around it. Don't try and manufacture and fabricate. Um, I love how we do uh, human um, body parts uh, with respect to um, if your heart's not working, get yourself a heart pump. If your kidneys is not working, get yourself dialysis. If you're, you, we're doing all these things, and the truth of the matter, the authentic provisions of God are way better than anything we try to, any contraption. Um, I'll tell you what, my marriage is one example. If God would not have manufactured and created my marriage, I would have no peace. I would always have to be running around trying to do things to bring it to its level. But the truth of the matter is when you let God and the people say let go and let God, things are more peaceful. In other words, our job to surrender is more, is better than our efforts to uh, manufacture. I was just sitting at the beach one day and, and the man said to me, he says, Joaquin, tell me anything I have to do and I'll do it. Just tell me what I have to do, and I'm going to do it. I said, listen to me. That's the problem. You want to do something. And for me to tell you to wait is like living hell to you. It's like, no. 
You can tell me whatever I have to do, I'll do it. But don't tell me to wait. Because wait is like stupid. And no, wait is the ways of God. Those who wait upon the Lord shall be renewed, shall mount up, and shall fly high. They'll mount up on wings and fly high. But as I'm telling him this, I said, look, for example, if I told you to climb up that coconut tree and pull a coconut off the tree, you would run fast and find three million ways to jump up on that tree. But if I told you to wait because God is going to bring the coconut to you, you wouldn't believe me. As I was telling him this, three blocks down the road, a stray dog picked up a coconut, came down the sidewalk. And as I was telling him this, the stray dog put the coconut at the man's feet. He freaked out. He freaked out because how do you get a coconut at your feet from a stray dog? Is God giving him a demonstrative aid, giving him a sign of what is our reality. So he, he went crazy. He just went home and he, he drew a poster and he, he, he put it on Facebook. He did. Because that's human nature. We can't wait on God. We don't know how to wait. And this is what God is telling Abraham right here in the first verse. He's saying, I'm almighty. There's nothing impossible for me. Try me. Try me. And you call on my name, I'm going to answer. I'm going to show you I'm real. So then he says, so therefore walk before me and be perfect. Perfect in what? Uh, not perfect in our fallen nature because who can be there? But perfect in faith. Perfect in trusting a faithful God. And, and that's what we're, we're aiming for. I think that's what God is looking for. Um, he was telling uh, Abraham, this is a life that you got to do for real. You can't manufacture it. You can't fabricate. You can't make this stuff up and, and, and you know, be a magician about it. Bruhaha and abracadabra. No, no, no. This is a real, 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 genuine substance that, that shows forth his glory at levels that are far, far crazy. Um, Walk before me perfectly. The essence of genuine faith is resisting the temptation to recreate God's call and purpose and to refuse by not bringing anything to his assistance and help. How many want to help God? Oh, God, if, if I were God, if I had to do something, listen to me. I want to thank God right now that I'm not God because I would have killed a lot of people. I, 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 if I had that button of just like, go to hell, go to hell, just, I'd, I'd be pressing that a couple times a day. Listen to me. He's a merciful. He's a good. He's a gracious. He's a faithful God. And he, thank God we're not God. And somebody better shout amen. Amen. Here he goes. Um, when he's telling him this, this, uh, this statement of genuine faith is the resisting the temptation to recreate God by faking it. A lot of people do that playing religion. Um, religion stinks. It smells after a certain time because it doesn't have the authenticity of God. It's just man appearing to be right before God. But, you know, God loved us when we were stinky, and he continues to love us uh, regardless. But the scenario is that he hates religion. 
because it's like going into a sewer. You go swimming, and then you get out and put some cologne on, and you think you, you covered the stench. Mm -mm. That's, that's not going to happen. So in this regard, there was a story of uh, a king, a very, very loved king in a kingdom, and he was going to die, and he had no sons. So he decided that he was going to leave the kingdom in the hands of somebody who was authentic, genuine, real. And so um, there was a call, and he, throughout the kingdom, he said that they were going to pick the next king because he was very sick and ill, and it had to be within the next year time frame. And so everyone who wanted to be the king in that kingdom to come because he was going to give the rules. And so... Uh, one day all showed up at the castle and he came outside. There was about a thousand young men uh, that were there. And he says, I have seeds that I'm going to give each one of you. I'm going to give you one seed. And you plant that seed. And then this time next year, I'm going to call you back and you let me know how your little tree and the fruit. And if you can care for the tree and the fruit and the seed, I'm going to give you my kingdom because that means that you are a good caretaker. You are a great gardener. So um, they gave a seed to everyone, everybody. Uh, the mothers were helping a lot. How many know mothers want their kids to be kings, right? And so they were there helping and telling their kids, look, this is the way you do it. I know how to grow a crop. And so they all, they all started um, uh, cultivating the seed. Um, and finally, there was this one young boy, and uh, his seed would not grow. And nothing he could do would make that seed grow. So um, his mom says, look, I have a good idea. I, I planted a tree in our backyard, and it has fruit, and it has beautiful flowers, and you just take that. Uh, how many remember doing homework? All right? Mom says, look, here, you take this and give it to the teacher. I did it. Um, so they go back to the castle, and the, all the kids are there, um, and they all have trees, and they all have fruits, and they all have flowers. And, and this young man says, no, mom. I'm not going to go there and, and cheat. I'm not going to go there and give a tree that doesn't have fruit, that have flowers. And, and my seed is, 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 is what they gave me. It didn't work out. I guess I won't be keen. And, and I'll, just, I'll just show up and, and show that it wasn't me. But they, they went back. And all of a sudden, the king went out. And he looked at all the trees and all the flowers and all the fruit. And he decided that that little boy would be the next king. And people were like, why? He says, because I boiled all your seeds so they would not grow. So they weren't supposed to give forth uh, roots and trees and plants and leaves. And so this young man is an honest young man. And he's the one that should be the king over the kingdom. And so that is what I believe God is trying to tell Abraham. And, and he, not Abraham, but all of Israel as they grow out of that lineage. He says, stop, make believing. Stop playing Disney World with my Christianity. Stop faking what is supposed to be a reality. And so when he's telling him, I'm almighty and walk before me and be perfect, all he expects is for the natural state of a man who's getting to know God would grow a genuine faith. I've been in places where people were expecting a Messiah to show up and, and the little girl is dying at the hospital. And all I can do is not be a mighty Messiah and the great prophet Buba and Bubu, and just go there and be a real genuine Christian and pray to Jesus Christ for him to heal that baby. And that's what we're talking about, being genuine and real. When they came 
And they told John the Baptist, who are you? Are you a Messiah? Are you the uh, Christ? He goes, no, I'm not the Christ. He goes, are you Elijah? He says, no, I don't call fire down from heaven. Well, then who are you? He says, I'm just a voice in the desert saying, prepare ye the way of the Lord. And then Jesus comes and says, this is the greatest man of all prophets born of women, of all kings in the Old Testament. John the Baptist is number one. Why? Because of authenticity. Because of just his being real. And so if we go there where God is telling uh, Abraham to be real because he's a mighty God. He says, walk before me and be blameless. We go to verse 2 and we, we see that God doesn't want us to be mixing trickery, smoke and mirrors. Reinterpreting, mixing words. Um, when, when God says something, we're to believe it, we're to walk in it. He says, I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Before uh, verse 2, we have to go to Genesis 3.1. Because every time God speaks, the devil will show up and he'll question what God has spoken. Or in this case, Abraham, you're going to have a child. Well, he's taking too long, so we'll have our own child. Well, that's not what I want because that's fake. That's not real. That's not the promise. But be real and be perfect. And then... Here in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve, the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, the devil is telling the woman, has God really said? Has God indeed said? The saddest thing in the world is that um, you have the New Age people saying a lot of things. You have the yoga people saying a lot of things. You have the, uh, the uh, what's it called? The New Age, the yoga all the philosophers, all the, they're all saying something. But I want to know what God says. And, and usually when God says something, the devil will come right after. And he says, did God really say that you're to wait upon him? Did God really say you're going to be married? Did God really say he has a family for you? Did God really say he's going to bless your business? Did God really say that he's going to save your family? And so the devil will come and question everything. Did God really say he's going to give you a son? And Abraham and, and Sarah have already messed up doing their own uh, make-believe stuff in the previous chapter. But what God is basically saying is stop putting fillers. We're living in a generation of fillers. Do you know that the hot dogs you eat are not meat? What are they? They're a bunch of fillers. The chickens are chickenless. The caffeine is caffeine-free. The milk is no fat. It, it doesn't have substance. Men without manhood. They, they want to make uh, metrosexuals. And so we're living in a God that wants to be a godless age. Godless age where God is not real. They have made God such a phony that we don't believe he's real. And what he's telling Abraham now is, listen, I have a covenant with you. And it's a real covenant. It's not make-believe. It's not twisted. It's not a fairy tale. You don't have to help it along. You guys remember what happened with the Ark of the Covenant when it was falling and the man reached out to, to help God? That, that's a good way to die. If you think your Christianity is your effort, what you do when you do how you do. Because then you say the church is a bunch of what man is doing, how they do it, when they do it. God's not involved. And so you die spiritually because you get into the flesh. But Jeremiah 17.5, God would always tell his people, cursed are those people that are waiting for man's help. Cursed are those that are, uh, thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart 
has stopped seeing God involved in things, whose heart departs from the Lord. Listen, um, a lot of my friends throughout the years have told me that I've been brainwashed. And I thank God for the brainwashing I've received. I thank God that I believe more in God than what my friends said was being brainwashed. I'll tell you why. Uh, being brainwashed allowed me to become a good husband. God washed my brain with regards to lust and lewdness and unfaithfulness. God washed not only my brain but my heart. And he allowed me to walk in his ways in a way that pleases him. Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength. In other words, don't try to do this on your own strength. He's talking about people. God, God doesn't talk much about other people. He's talking about you. Whose heart departs from the Lord. Verse 6, he says, For he shall be like a shrub. A shrub has no roots. It has no leaves. It has no flowers. It has no fruit. He sh the person who stops trusting in God to trust in the efforts of man is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see when good comes. He's never going to be able to receive what God has for him because he's not waiting for it. He's doing his own thing. But shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness. Where the parched places is dry places. In a salt land which is not inhabited. Verse 8. Let's go verse uh, 7 first. But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. And has placed his confidence and his hope. In, in, whose confidence and hope is the Lord. Back up guys. I want to, I would just, this is, go to verse 7. This, this verse is what God is telling Abraham. If you trust in me, you're going to prosper. If you put your confidence in me, you're going to be blessed. If you decide to live out my instruction, because that's all Abraham has at this point, you're not going to be a shrub in the desert without fruit. Verse 8, he says, this man shall be like a tree planted by waters who spreads out his roots by the river and will not fear when the heat comes but its leaf will be green and he won't be worried in the year of drought nor will cease from yielding fruit uh, there are two types of men upon the earth men who come to God and men who don't men who are doing it on their own and men who are watching God do it and genuine faith is watching God do it. You can say amen right there. Amen. Genuine faith is watching God's goodness in your life. It's not something you do. And so it says that this is a heart that's in man. Verse 9, he's talking about this, this place being the heart. Because the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? For, for all that we say and profess to be faithful and Christians and all that stuff, this is a struggle of life. A struggle of life that's being witnessed by your children and by your wife, by your family. Do you trust? Do you wait upon God? Do you know his faithfulness? And so it says a wicked heart is desperately wicked. It's deceitful above all things because it's always um, the, the Spanish word maquinando, full of all sorts of maneuvering in human wisdom. But you know what God does to our human wisdom and as we try to be sly and slick? Verse 10, he says, I will search your heart. I, the Lord, search the heart and I test the thoughts even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. You know that, that, that 
Walking a life of faith is like flying. It's scary. And you're like sitting there, uh, this, the famous song, right? Should I stay or should I go now? If I stay, there will be trouble. And if I go, it's going to be double. That life of faith, you're trusting God. One lady showed up at church one day. She had $100,000 in her account. And she's like, oh, pastor, I don't know what to do because I'm afraid to run out of money. And I said, lady, if you knew how much I had in the bank account, you'd slit your wrist right now. <laughs> and I always ask God, God, if I'm a lawyer and if I had good cases and if I could make millions, why? Why don't I have a couple million dollars in the account? He says, because the just shall live by faith. He could, he could throw it all out. But if I'm going to grow in faith, I need to walk without seeing it. And we're changing the world, and we don't have millions in the bank. We're doing more than millionaires are doing. We're just impacting the nations. They know us. When we, come, when we arrive on the scene, we come with God's shower of blessing. It's much more than what we could do in the physical. If man tried to do this in the physical, they could not. They would not. But this is what God is searching out, the heart and the mind. What for? To give to each one according to the ways of faith. So what it is that we're talking about today is how do we cultivate faith? We know that God doesn't want phonies. We don't, God doesn't want to fabricate. God is not going to sit there, uh, Lord, I can't believe uh, I let you down again. And he says, you're never holding me up. You were never holding me up. Uh, you, you don't authenticate Christianity, my friend. Christ has already done that for us. Christ has already authenticated the goodness and the mercy and the love of God and that he's on our side and not against us. The, the death of Jesus on the cross proved it. So right smack, if you, were, if you were to grab the Bible like this and you were like, okay, all the chapters and verses on this side, all the chapters and verses on this side, Psalm 118, let's go there, right in the middle. Right in the middle of the Bible, verse 8. This is the very center message of the Bible. If you split any Bible in half, all chapters and verses one way, all chapters and verses evenly split, and you open it up right in the middle, the middle verse, it says it's better to trust in God than to put your confidence in man. Amen. That's the central message of the Bible. I don't know how they did that. I think God did that. God did that. There's no man that could do that. What's verse 9 say? One verse into the New Testament side. Take a right there. It says, it's better to trust in the Lord than to put a confidence in a prince, in a ruler, in somebody who has it together. So to be able to seek the counsel of the Lord before you fudge it with all that you know and all that you think you know. And this was the story of the people of Israel. Isaiah 30 verse 1. Woe to you obstinate children. You continue to do your own thing, your own way. You're a rebellious children. You remember that word, woe? That's not good, people. Woe to rebellious children, says the Lord, who take counsel, who listen to advice, but it's not my advice. Who devise plans. They do their schedule, but it's not of my spirit. So they add sin to sin. They add more destruction, more devastation, more darkness, more stuff that is from the devil and not from God. And so that's what God's message has always been to his people. Genesis chapter 17 verse 2. He says, I will make my covenant between me and you and you will multiply. In other words, he, he's, he's bringing back to Abraham his plan. He says, 
didn't I tell you before you tried to do it on your own before that my plans for you are to enlarge your life, to enjoy the abundance of that which I will do, multiply you, can you say it with me, exceedingly? Exceedingly. Exceedingly. If we go to Ephesians chapter 2 verse 20, there's one of my favorite verses there. And it says that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly to 10. Let's go to Ephesians 2.10. All right, let's look for it then. This verse here, God adds superlatives that we could not even closely come to. In other words, he's saying, I'm about to do something that is huge in your life. It's going to be so huge. Um, here it is. Three twenty. Here it is, Ephesians 3.20. Listen, listen what God's plans are. He says, now to him who's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. So that you could do exceedingly like this, abundantly more and above what you pray and ask for. So every time I pray to God, I know it's going to go three notches above what I'm praying. Why? Because if I was praying to somebody like me, I could do it at a certain level. But he is God omnipotent. So he's going to do it exceedingly, abundantly, and above what I'm praying because I don't know how to pray. A lot of our prayers are really sad. Uh, we don't know his potential. We don't know his faithfulness. Genesis 17.2, he says, hey, the deal I have with you. Genesis 17.2. He's talking to Abraham. We're listening. I will make my covenant, my, my promise to you between me and you is that I will multiply you exceedingly. My plans for you are a lot way above what you think my plans are for you. You still don't get it. Verse 3, continue along. This is called human wit versus God's wisdom, the flesh versus obedience. My plans are solid and your plans are an, uh, illusory. They're, they're just fake. They, they fade. So when Abraham heard this, what's he do? Abraham fell on his face. Hit the deck. You know what falling on your face is? I want to tell you what this is. You're ready to do business with God. This is the best position you ever want to be in. If you go home tonight, your husband goes to sleep, go and lay on your face and say, God, I want to see you do everything you want to do. I'm not going to be involved. I'm not going to try and manipulate. I'm not going to try and maneuver. I'm going to lay on my face. And that shows that I have completely surrendered to what you want to do in my life. I want to see your glory. And this is what Abraham's ready for. And look at the result of him laying on his face. What happens, guys? What's the next thing that happens? God begins to talk with him. This is called divine connection. This is called spiritual receptivity. This just means you're eight. The other day they were telling me, no, because if you want to get that channel, you got to go buy an antenna and you got to put it out. And listen, with God, just throw yourself on the face and you'll get reception. <laughs> tell him, I quit. I want to see your glory. And it says God talked with him. What did God tell him when he threw himself on his face? Um, obviously, I want to say something before I go to the next part. The opposite is true. 
Every time Israel lifted up their head, have, have you seen somebody wants to pick a fight, they go to you like this? <laughs> Stiff-necked. They're not on their face. They're picking a fight. I'm not going to do what you say. Acts chapter 7, verse 50. God says, hey, last time I checked, I created the heavens and the earth. Acts 7, 50. Last time I checked, my hand, uh, let's go to verse uh, 49. Has my hand not made all these things? Heaven is my throne up there. Earth is my footstool. What house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is this place of rest, of my rest? Where is it that you think that I fit? Verse 50. For these things, the heaven and the earth, my hand. Last time I checked, didn't my hands make the heavens and the earth? Answer? Amen. Yes. He made all things. So who do we think we're dealing with? But verse 51 says, but... Your fathers, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in the heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did for a long time, so you're doing the same thing. You're being proud. You're wanting to do things your own way. I'm the one that made the heavens and the earth with my own hands, and I'm ready to bless you and prosper you. Let me do it. Don't resist. Don't, don't. Uh, Abraham got the message. He threw himself on the ground. And he says, Lord, tell me what you want to do for me. As soon as he does that, verse 4 says like this. My plans, Abraham, that I've devised for you. Genesis 17, verse 4. For this, as for me, behold, my covenant is with you. He, he's saying, you already have proof of purchase. You have the receipt. You shall be the father of many nations because I promised you. I covenanted it with you. That you will be the father of many nations. You're going you're gonna to have descendants you won't even be able to count. Remember, this is at a time where he doesn't have any children. And he tried to manufacture one, but it didn't go too well. But he's reminded that he has a covenant. It's been certified, documented. God is saying, did you lose the receipt or something? Have you misplaced the proof of purchase? Verse 5, I need to do something more to convince you. You shall no longer... Be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. Um, God has to do stuff in our lives to confirm his promises, not for him, but for us. And in this particular case, there was a transformation of his name. He stuck an H right in the middle of it. Some people say that the H is part of Elohim, which is a part of God's name. Up until that point, Abram meant father that is exalted, exalted father. That was Abram. But Abraham now is God in the middle of it. Or other people say it's the pronunciation or the, the part of a word that means that God stuck a feather in Abraham's name. Um, it wasn't going to be a, a flight issue of him running away. Uh, it wasn't going to be a fight issue. Uh, it was going to be a faith issue. He was going to allow Abraham to have an outlet to be mounted up on the wings of an eagle, to see God closer. This is what David says in Psalm 62, 5. He says, I want my expectation to come from the Lord. I want, I want to be mounted up so my soul waits quietly for God. Say with me, alone. Is God sufficient? Do we need any, any other 
thing than God? No. For him alone, for my expectation is from him. I'm waiting on him. Verse 6, he only, I wait for him alone and he only is my rock and my salvation. He's my defender. I shall not be moved. Um, I can't tell you the winds that are blowing in our lives in every direction that threaten to move us, to strip us, to, to make us go in a direction that is not what God wants. When we try to do it on our own, Isaiah chapter 50, verse 11. When we try to do it on our own, God says, listen, I got a forest fire for you that's going to light the night. And all you're doing is you're, you're throwing sparks. Your ability to do what I want to do on your own efforts is just a spark. But I'm going to light a fire and the whole world's going to see it. Look all you who kindle a fire who encircle yourselves with sparks. I would rather that you walk in the light, uh, no, he says, walk in the light of your fire and in the sparks you have kindled. This you shall have from my hand. You're going to be very upset. You're going to, you know, this is the efforts of man trying to do it on his own. Cheek, 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 cheek. You light a sparkler, it goes out. God wants to bring you some serious fireworks, my friend. It's a fire that burns is never quenching, the Bible says. It doesn't go out. It's not based on your own efforts. So he, this is what he's trying to tell Abraham. Abraham, quit manufacturing your little impressive sparks. I got a greater life for you. When you finally end up walking in the light of your fire, how, how, many, how many want to be impressed to walk in the fruit of their efforts? Trying to, you know, I've, I've seen girls that are waiting for a husband, right? It's like, man, I need a husband. Uh, a man! Where's a man? And, and I see them rush. And they try to manufacture a husband. Have you seen how sad that looks? How many have seen it look scary? Scary. Scary looking. But then when God does it, it's glorious. It's, it's, it's peaceful. It's rich. And so th this is what he's saying there in Isaiah. He's saying, don't go around. Uh, okay, Lord. You're questioning my, my efforts, verse 5, Genesis 17, 5. You're questioning the fact that I have a covenant. I'm listening. You're no longer going to be named Abram. You'll be Abraham. It's my work, not your work. It'll be named after what I did in your life and in your family, not what you did, not your efforts, not your wisdom, my grace, my blessing, my abundance. You should be sh shouting amen. amen. Verse 6, here it goes. God gives him a triple grand slam. Here it goes. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make a nation of you. Kings shall come from you. You should say amen right there. Amen. That's a promise for you. My provision has lasting promise, God says. Verse 7, not only I will make you, but I will establish. I will make you, I will establish. This promise that will not only be between you and I, but your children after you. And for many generations, a lasting covenant so I could be their God and your descendants after you. I'm going to be there for you and for your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. Not because you have a great net worth, but because you have a great God. Amen. You have a great legacy of His blessing upon you. Uh, my grandchildren are blessed. I know that for a fact. They're going to have great fathers, and I want them to have great moms, too. 
Last night, that was my birthday wish. A great daughter-in-law. Three of them. And my daughter was like, Dad. Says, hey, slow down. I got a couple more birthday wishes there. Down the road. But last night, my birthday wish, great, great daughter-in-laws. God-fearing, world-changing, on fire, passionate women of God. Love the Lord with all their heart. Have kept themselves. And so this is the legacy God has given us. And he says, not, will I, not only will I will make you exceedingly fruitful, I will establish you. And verse 8, he goes and he says, I will make you, I will establish you, I will give to you. God is saying, this is my show, not yours. You can shout amen. Come on. Amen. Shout, man. Get a man. Amen, pastor. You and your children after you in the land which you're no longer a stranger, a nobody, a loser. A poser. You're faking it. You don't have real joy. You don't have real peace. You might have money, but that's all you have. You're miserable. But I have for you, you're no longer going to be a nobody. All the land of Canaan, as an everlasting possession, I will be their God. I'm going to be with you guys forever. And we're closing out here. Verse 9. And God said to Abraham, as for you, your part in this thing is that you hold on to my promise. You and your descendants after you throughout every generation just keep waiting on my promise. That's your part. Wait on my, my bringing to pass my purpose, my plan. I've had people rush our ministry uh, for the last 17 years. Come on, do something. I said, I'm not doing nothing. God's doing everything, and he's doing quite well. And the longer I keep my hands off it and my thoughts off it, the better and the greater. I, listen, I never even dreamed what's happening. Never. Why? Because it's God. It's way beyond our capacity to even think. That was the verse that God gave me the first day I got, I got saved. 1 Corinthians 2.9, he says, um, uh, eyes have never seen, ears have never heard, heart has never imagined. This is the first verse that I heard when I first walked into church. Eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man the things God has. What's prepared means? He is doing it for those who love him. My job is to love him. His job is that he has all these things prepared. And so I never even saw or heard or even thought of what God is doing. It's blowing me away. I, I saw his desire, his heart for me to serve him, to follow him. But what he was planning, what, what he had prepared was way crazy above whatever I thought. And so that's where it comes to puny thinking, that we think, no, because if I, if I do this, then I'll have that. And you say, look, not my will, thine be done. What do you have planned for God? What, what, does God, um, what, what God do you have planned for my life? That's, that's your posture. And so he goes over and he says, I will make you, I will establish you, I will give you, I will be your God. And verse uh, 9, he says, this is for all your generations. Verse 10, this is my covenant. This is where God says, I want to I put this down. Listen, God always marked wherever he did something. He says, put a mark there and remember it. I was there. So in this exchange with Abraham, he says, put a mark on it. And where was the mark? It was every fee, uh, male child circumcised. The mark was down here. They were to be circumcised. God says, I want you to mark you, Ishmael, and all those that are born in your house. Verse 11. 
In order for you to stop forgetting my mark, you shall be circumcised in the flesh. Your foreskins, it shall be a sign. It will be evidence that you and I have a covenant between each other. Not for God's sake, for Abraham's sake. For his sons to ask, why'd you do that? And God wanted me, you to remember that he's going to do it. I'll remember, I'll never forget. I'll never forget, God, I'll never forget. Circumcision. Verse 12. He who is eight days old and above shall be circumcised. Every male in your generations. He who is born in your house. I don't want anybody else in your house to forget that we have a covenant. Those that are bought for money, if they're foreigners, who is not descendants. Verse 13. If you don't do this, he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money must be circumcised. My covenant shall be your f uh, in your flesh as a mark of an everlasting covenant. Verse 14. Anyone who doesn't get circumcised, who forgets the mark, the uncircumcised male, who is not cut in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from my people. He has broken my covenant. If you don't allow yourselves to be cut, then there's no relationship. Now, the Bible says in Colossians chapter uh, 2 that it's no longer, let's go to Romans 2.28. It's no longer an outward mark, it's an inward mark. Romans 2.28. For he is not a Jew who is outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is an outward in the flesh. In the New Testament, it's no longer the foreskin of the male. It becomes the, not the outward, verse 29 it's the inward circumcision of the heart. But he is Jew who is one inwardly. And the circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not what you could do before men, but what God sees. And where does God see? In the heart. And so where is the circumcision taking place? Uh, Colossians 2.12. He says, those who believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Say with me, believe in the Lord Jesus as Lord and Savior, and are baptized. Those are circumcised in the heart. Colossians 2.12 says the circumcision is those who identify with his burial and resurrection. Uh, buried with him in baptism in which you also were raised. Let's go to verse uh, 11, please. In him you were also circumcised. With the circumcision without hands, by putting off the body of sin of flesh, by the circumcision of Christ. Where is this? Verse 12. After you believe in Jesus Christ, you go to him to baptism. And you're buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you're in the New Testament, and you've given your heart over to the Lord, and you want to enter into Abraham's covenant, now it's not a mark of the covenant in the outward flesh. It's an inward circumcision of the heart the day you went to get water baptized to obey his word. So that's why we say that baptism is not for children. In the Bible, they don't baptize children. They baptize adults. Jesus was baptized at the age of 30. So when a man knows that he wants to enter into a relationship with God and receives Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, he obeys and goes to the water of baptism, which is the circumcision that God has seen that you're being marked by him from above. And so Abraham went on in Genesis 17, verse 20. 
Look, I, I want to touch on this real quick because Abraham still is, is blown away by God. Verse 15, then God said to Abraham, as Sarai also, your wife, you shall not call her Sarai, princess anymore, but you shall call her Sarah, and added an H to her name, and she shall be her name, for she, verse 16, will be the mother of nations. I will bless her also and give you a son by her, then I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall come from her. God's plans for Sarah were there tied up into God's plans for Abraham, verse 17. And you know what Abraham does. He falls on his face, but this time he laughs. Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child come from a man who is 100 years old and a wife who's 90? He's sitting there laughing. Genesis 17, 17, verse 18. So... He says, God, you're not going to be able to do what you're saying, so just bless Ishmael. Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. I don't believe in the plans you have. I can't get them together. They don't fit in my brain. It's ridiculous what you say you want to do, and what I see as being able to be doing it is not going to happen. So just bless Ishmael, and I'll be content. And then he says, I am going to bless. Uh, verse 19, God says, no, Abraham, quit laughing. This is not a joke. This is not phony. No, Sarah, your wife, shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant with him and his descendants. I want to tell you that God is a God of the multi-generational blessing. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In our generation, the people that believe in God says, oh, God, just believe me. Just bless me. Just prosper me. And my son, let a car run him over. Let my grandson be lost. I'm not going to. No. God remembers you, he remembers your son, and he remembers your uh, grandchildren. And to them, three generations, he's a God of a thousand generations, to those who honor him and serve him. And so there he is, thrown on the ground, laughing, and saying, just go ahead and bless. He says, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring this to pass. Verse 20, as for Ishmael, my plans for him, I have heard you. Also, I will answer your prayer. I have blessed him, will make him fruitful, and he will multiply exceedingly. And he shall beget 12 princes, and I will make him a great nation. So God has planned. Now, verse 21, he says, my covenant will be established with you. My covenant will be established with you, with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. And he finished talking with him, and God went up from Abraham. So what did Abraham do in verse 23? He took his son Ishmael and all who were born in his house and who were bought with money, every male among them, and circumcised the flesh of their foreskin that very same day as God has said to him. Now this is very powerful about the life of Abraham because as soon as he hears from God, he's obeying. He hears from God, he's obeying. What do we do? We hear from God and we say, well, we got another plan here. We hear from God. Blah, blah, blah. And there's some people here that are sitting 10 years and still haven't been water baptized. And that just shows you the condition of the heart. Because baptism is the first step after you receive Jesus Christ as Lord. It's the first step. It's an act of obedience. It's saying, God, I want to do this body that wants to do everything. I want it to be dead and buried. And the water baptism, that's where you circumcise the heart. And you give up and you surrender. So that same day, he 
was able to circumcise all these. Verse 24, Abraham was 99 years old when he circum was circumcised in the foreskin. We're way ahead of Abraham. How many say amen? amen? We're way ahead. God's still dealing with him. God's still dealing with you. Get to it. Get circumcised in the heart. Move with God and his plans for your life. He was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And then it says there, verse 25, and Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old. How many think Ishmael forgot at 13? He didn't forget. Because the memories in the life of your children, when you get water baptized, will be memorable forever. When you understand what God is doing in the spiritual and heavenly realm. That very same day, Abraham was circumcised, verse 26, and so was his son Ishmael. Both of them were circumcised. Verse 27, and all the men of his house, born in the house and bought with money from the foreigner, from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. One of the, the, the capacities that Abraham has to bring his whole family into the blessings of God, to me, is a blessing. Because nowadays we're living in a time where parents don't have their children's honor. So when their dad is trying to push them to the blessing of God's favor, they're resisting the hand. And that goes for spiritual children, too. You have fathers that want their kids to be prosperous and multiplied and blessed, and it's almost an impossibility to get them to move in that direction. Let's stand tonight. And the inheritance of God for our house is huge. We are trekking the life of Abraham because we don't want to be plain religion. We want to authenticate and have genuine faith in the Lord. How many know that God is speaking to us, right? The Holy Spirit is ministering to the house of God. He's been faithful. And one of the things that excites me about uh, listening to these things is that God, when he's speaking of them, he doesn't leave them in the realm of words. He manifests. That means he brings it into the expression of the here and now for his glory and for his name. So as we get the, the musicians ready to sing a song, I want to ask you a question. If God were to tell you today, I'm almighty God, walk before me, and be thou perfect. Do you understand what he's talking about? Because we were able to go through all these verses and see his heart. I'm almighty God, walk thou before me, not before men, not in your own works, and he says, be perfect, be blameless, quit with the excuses. Uh, you know, from time to time, um, about 10 years ago when I left my law office, that was, a, that was a, a real scary time. Real, real scary time. But I, I came to the place that if I don't take steps of faith, I'll never see the goodness of God. A couple of years ago when we uh, decided to, to call G.F. Watkins and, and connect with him, that was a step of faith also. That's get your hands off and trust me. It's quit thinking about what you can do and how you can do it and just walk in obedience to my word and you're going to see my faithfulness. And so that's what he's telling Abraham and that's what he's telling us today. I love the fact that the young girls are here listening to this word and Joseph. I wish I would have listened to these words when I was 10. I wish I would have had access to a faithful God and I, I, I came super late, 16, 17, 18 years old. I had a lot of garbage in my brain. I had a lot of junk. But to get this stuff pure while we're children will make us strong people. 
will make us faithful and we'll, we'll see glorious results. We know the end result because Abraham would have a child and then that child would have a son named Jacob and Jacob would have 12 children and that's who Israel is today. So we see the promises of God about blessing the descendants of Abraham is true because that's the only nation that's still around from back 6,000 years ago. Is God faithful? Has he been able to sustain Israel? They own 80% of the world's wealth. They're the smallest nation. But they've decided to honor the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we, my friend, are also in that track. We're in that journey to, to get connected with a faithful God, the creator of heavens and the earth. Let's sing this song and you talk with God now. Now's your time to agree and say, Lord, everything I heard tonight concerning your purpose with my life, I want it for me, my house, and my children. From 86 to 99, a lot of things should have been going through Abraham's mind and his heart. And for God to appear once again and remind him of his plans is similar to what happened tonight in your life. These are called intervals of God's intervention and grace that God reaches out and he reminds you, I have a plan for your life. I have a plan for your family. I have a plan to bring peace and joy and prosperity and to remind you that I'm a God who will answer and provide all your needs Amen. and I have settled all your questions you, and protect you from all your fears and from every enemy. And then you have the opportunity tonight to say, Lord, I want to circumcise my heart. I want you to be able to get in the inside so I stop playing games, trying to do my own thing. I want to see your plan. Father, tonight we listen to your voice. We hear your word. Thank you for speaking so clearly. Thank you for your visitation, your presence. Thank you that we were a part of a gathering amongst your people to receive what you had for us tonight. Bless it, Lord. Increase it. Increase the measure of our faith and our confidence and our obedience and our walk in you. Allow us to walk before you and be blameless, perfect in a life of faith, serving you wholeheartedly, surrendered, walking in the obedience of your instruction out of your word. And we know, God, that we're to be the light of this world. We're to be the incentive for other people to see our progression, our blessing, our peace, and desire it. You say in the last days, seven men will grab the hem of one man and say, we know God is with you. We want your blessings. We want your peace. We want your prosperity. We want a marriage like yours. We want children like yours. We want the peace in a home like yours. Father, we pray, Lord, that we could continue to pursue your purpose in our life so that all men would come to you because you're not willing that any should perish but that all repent and come towards you. Give us faithfulness as you said at the beginning that in times of drought, we won't be without fruit because that we're not walking like the ways of the world. We're not lighting our own sparks. We walk in the light of your mercy and grace, Lord. So we pray, Father God, for prosperity, blessing economically, socially, relationally, spiritually in this house. That what does a man touch the heart of every man to walk before you like Abraham did? So that our sons would be loyal and righteous and faithful. We pray in Jesus' name and the house of God says amen, amen, amen and amen.
greet one another in the love of the Lord. And tell each other, walk in world-changing perfection. Hallelujah.